Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm Chris Freeman, and I just want to start off by thanking everybody for uh, some really incredible feedback and positive reviews. Uh, I'm very appreciative of it, and it, it helps a ton. So today, my guest has a diverse technology and sales experience with his background, and I know you're really going to enjoy this. So his name's Adam J, and he started his professional career not in sales. He started as an on-air radio personality. So uh, as part of this podcast, you know he'll be great on the podcast, so no pressure. And then, you know, but he quickly, he saw the light of sales, and he moved into a medical sales role where he sold a cancer product that was targeted for women. And from there, uh, he made a jump into the SaaS world, working with a number of pre-IPO companies in different markets. And over the years, he's been leading and growing sales teams, helping to build sales processes. You know, For those of you that have worked at really small companies, you don't just walk in and have everything built. Oftentimes, you know, maybe you're the first salesperson, maybe the sales leader, you're building some of that stuff as you're out there going to market with the product or the SaaS offering. So he's been very instrumental in some of those activities, building playbooks, helping create coaching frameworks, running his own coaching framework, and really impacting small companies' product development based on you know pulling feedback from the, the customers and pulling feedback from the team. And I, I think the thing that really I found that caught my attention with Adam uh, when I was researching him on within LinkedIn, is he had this uh, quote or stat that he shared where he's hired over 350 sales professionals, it's a lot, promoted 24 and counting uh, internal promotions. And this is everything from a BDR to an AE, a BDR to a BDR manager, an AE to an enterprise AE, um, an AE to a sales manager, sales manager to to a director. Um, you know, and that is at the end of the day, we're out there working. That's a big part of our career progression. And that's why I'm personally really excited to talk to Adam today. So Adam, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Thanks for having me. Wow. High high, high expectations after an intro like that. I I I gotta I, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse or not. That's normally a question I ask um, before I do podcasts, but I'll 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 refrain, but I can't mess this up. Yes, you'll be uh, you'll do great. And uh it's well-deserved. So um, one thing I didn't capture here in your intro was, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I am a vice president of revenue for a company called OnQ. We are a B2B software for the moving industry on one side of our house. And then on the other side of our house, we also have a professional services component where we have a call center that will act as your sales center. So instead of an owner-operator, if we're talking to an SMB, having to answer their own phones, or in more of the mid-market enterprise space, having you know five, six, seven, ten salespeople that are answering the phones at fifty grand a year plus commission, 
we actually will bring that in-house. Um, we have a call center because everyone's remote. But they will actually handle the sales for you. So two different sides of business. Okay. So what... I mean, what is a VP of revenue? How is that different than VP of sales or some other role? Yeah, great question. So VP of sales, you're responsible for growth, right? Your job is to you know, bring in new customers and the buck stops there. For me, similar to a chief revenue officer, um, but I don't actually um, handle the marketing side of the house. We have a phenomenal vice president of marketing. Um, I own revenue, I own onboarding, and I also own the entire customer success motion as well. Okay. All right. Interesting. So new, new customers, keeping them as customers, um, and then upselling the customers also all, all, all falls in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, so I, I am assuming that the uh, chief revenue officer is sometime in your future. You know, it's funny. I, I've always wanted to be a CRO. And if I'm, if I'm going to be totally honest with myself, with you, with everyone who's listening, I love the sales side. I love new business and building and scaling sales teams and you know really building out those processes like you spoke about and watching that number go up and to the right. I can do the success side. I don't love it as much as I thought I would. I don't know if CRO is in my future or if I want to go more down the path of like SVP or EVP of sales and let the true folks who really have that passion for success do it. It's, it's a totally different motion. When you have to think about, you know, my job is not just to bring you in, but now I'm dealing with any of your perceived issues, checking your usage, making sure that you're happy, looking at churn numbers. And any good sales leader looks at churn numbers, um, but they're not responsible for churn numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world being responsible for churn. Um, so I'm going to punt on that question. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I know personally, I mean, the, the times that I've been most excited is you know in while selling is when i'm in the hunt you know you're yeah. working that deal and you're getting close it's complicated it could go one way could go another you could lose it you could win it um that's when i just yeah i'm so excited to get up early and you know and then once it's done i'll i'm on to the next one you know so i yeah. um, i might be with you on that uh on that challenge well so i'm curious so during your intro, I mentioned about uh, you, you've had a few people that have been promoted into management. And I actually just recently did a single episode on um, you know, some things that maybe a rep could think about when moving into management, right? Because it's a different role, different challenges. You have to think differently. For those reps that have been promoted, you know, what are some of the things that a rep needs to be doing now? if they really want to move into management besides kicking butt and hitting quota, because there's more to it to be a great leader. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I used to think that all it was, was kicking butt. Um, and I'll tell a very quick story because it'll tie into your question. I, when I was selling medical devices, number one rep, I was very, very fortunate for two years. District manager role came up. Like, of course I'm going to apply. I'm the best rep, right? Like there's no other choice. I applied and I didn't get the job. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why. And then three months later, another leadership role came about. Um, I applied and guess what? I didn't get the job. So we were at a national sales meeting. I'll never forget this in San Diego, sitting at the Marriott. And my VP of sales comes up to me. Um, it's like, can we have a really candid conversation? Sure. I'm going to tell you why you didn't get the job. You didn't get the job because you're an a-hole. And it took me back a little. Obviously, she clarified. But the long and the short of it is... She's like, your numbers are great, right? Like, you're the number one rep. You're a rookie of the year. No, no one could ever deny that. But the problem is, 
you feel this need to tell everyone you're the number one rep. You feel that your secrets that make you the number one rep are yours and yours alone, and you don't have to share them with anyone. And you're not willing to give to others. No one wants to work for someone like that. So I can't, in good conscience, make you a leader. And I still think to this conversation almost daily. It certainly has guided my leadership style. But when you ask what you need to do to make that transition, the very first thing is your mindset has to shift. It is no longer about you. It's about them. And it's about everyone else. The numbers speak for themselves. And we all... I say this to my team a lot. Like We all look at the same reports, right? We, we know whose numbers are going up and to the right. We know who the number one rep is. Like We don't need you to say, hi, I'm the best. The, the numbers tell us that. But what we do want to see and what's going to make you successful is sharing what makes you number one, sharing those tips and tricks that you find in the sales process and those either sayings or deal flows or processes that help you be successful. Because the fact of the matter is, Chris, if you and I both follow the exact same process and do the exact same thing, someone's just going to like you better or like me better. That's just human nature. And that's you're going to win some deals and you're going to lose some deals. No one is buying from me because I have this one saying or one trick that I do that someone else doesn't. That's not what's going to make me a better rep. And you have to, you know, first get in your mind that you're working for the collective team and company and share that success Mm -hmm. um, and get out of this me mentality. The other thing that I think when I'm looking at leaders um, is those who lead without authority, those who lead without the title. The ones who really want to step in and help people grow. The ones who are like, hey, Adam, you know, can, can I take you know, Daniel under my wing and help make him better? What can I take off your plate to help learn the job of a you know, manager, director, VP, whatever it is you're trying to be promoted to? Um, and how could I learn? And I think that, to me, means so much more than, are you a top-performing rep? Listen... You can't be the bottom performing rep and get promoted. That's just a fact. But middle of the pack, you can. Um, because at the end of the day, a great rep doesn't make a great leader. I, I used to make that mistake. I would promote these top reps and think they were going to be these amazing leaders. And it, it didn't work out because a good rep isn't a good leader. I've worked for leaders on the flip side who were decent salespeople. But boy, could they coach, could they motivate, and could they get you to run through a brick wall for them? And when you start looking for that skill set of folks, um, I think is really where you start to find people who are going to step outside of this mold of, oh, they're an awesome rep, so they must be a great leader. And they're putting others first, and they're looking to give back, and they're always learning. Yeah. Why well, that is such a that's a lesson that I just wish I would have learned a little bit earlier in my career because I think like a lot of reps, um, I, I had the mentality of, hey. You know, put my head down, grind it out, let the numbers speak for themselves. I don't need to go out there. I'm, you know, and I'm just generally a little bit more of a conservative person. So I'm not out there promoting myself and, and telling everybody all the great things I, w- I was doing. I was just doing it. Right. And then that would get me there. And you know, it wasn't until I learned and I was watching some other people excel in their career ahead of me, watching them share some of their insights, uh, their tips, their tricks. It wasn't until I shifted and started doing more of that jumping into more internal initiatives, giving my feedback and helping that, you know, really, it wasn't until then that the opportunity for me to make a step in the leadership happened. I mean, I was getting passed over time and time again. And, you know, I was fine. I wasn't going to get fired. I was making that they love me as a as a sales rep. They just didn't love me as a sales manager candidate. So it's such great 
such great advice. It's a fu- fundamental difference, right? That a lot of people don't realize. I and mean, even, you know, no one teaches you how to be a manager. Like you get taught how to be a rep, you get taught how to sell, but no one really teaches you how to lead a team. No one teaches you how to interview. There are so many things that you just don't get taught as a sales leader. And as a sales leader, it's our responsibility to kind of shift this paradigm and create what I call this culture of coaching, where we're really teaching people how to get to the next step, where we're not sitting behind the computer being the VP of spreadsheets and the VP of Salesforce and saying, oh, you didn't do this, do it this way, where we're getting involved and we're showing people and coaching by example um, and creating that next generation of sales leaders. Yeah, one thing, um, one thing I've been sharing with uh, just people, yeah, bigger, bigger companies, right? So some bigger companies that maybe have a an onboarding program, a new hire program where they bring reps back and take them through a program. You know, I've shared with a few people that hey, if you want to get more involved, one of the most valuable things you can do is just offer to jump into that program. They always need people to come present, share an example of how you run your territory, forecast whatever it might be, take them on a virtual ride along. That is the fastest way to give back, practice your coaching, and then at the same time, get exposure and visibility within your organization. It's funny that that is how I started. You know, that you say that that's how I got involved with sales was, you know, doing a couple sessions for our but I mean, Hologic is a public company, right? We have thousands of employees. Um, but leaning in on those onboarding calls and then taking the unpaid field sales trainer role, right? Where, you know, you talk about leading without authority. You know, now you have this new rep and we were in the field. So you're literally in the car with them for two weeks, teaching them like how to sell, how to talk to surgeons. And to your point, when you have these larger companies, they're always looking for people to do that. Because as a manager, you know, I look back to when I was a frontline manager, like I didn't really have the time to go train a new rep. Like I'm, I'm focused on my reps that where can I make the immediate impact and drive that needle up into the right quickly and fast. But having people on my team who are like, hey, how could I help with that? Uh, huge, huge difference and huge time saver for me as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, I want to shift gears just a little bit. So one thing I was curious about, I've always kind of been in the same industry, um, you know, slightly different products, but mostly the same industry with uh, uh, products that I was either selling or leading teams around. But so you've led and consulted teams across multiple SaaS companies, but totally different industries. So business to business software for kind of the moving industry workflow and user management um i think i saw a company that automates kind of the swag process you know giving out gifts yeah uh healthcare technology software for restaurants so totally i mean it's software but you know totally different industries um how different is it selling saas or software in these different markets so incredibly different. Um, I feel like I've done every industry except cybersecurity because they tell me I don't have enough experience to sell cybersecurity because they want people who've only sold cybersecurity. It's totally different. You know, I think th- there's some similarities when you're selling, you know, SMB to SMB or mid-market to mid-market. Um, I don't have a ton of enterprise experience. That's not really where my wheelhouse is. Um, very lower end of enterprise. But I think what you'll find certainly in my spaces, because they've been relatively specialized, like at Toast, the majority of our sales folks that we hired came from the restaurant industry. Um, and they had no sales background whatsoever. Mm. And what we found, and I truly believe, Chris, you, you could teach anyone to sell. I could teach my 11-year-old to sell. I could take a college grad and teach them how to sell. 
Um, but what I can't teach you is work ethic, hustle, drive, or business knowledge. And from a credibility standpoint, restaurant owners, whether you're in that SMB space or the mid-market space, and you're talking to like directors of operations or CTOs, you can't BS them, right? Like you either know that business or you don't. So we would purposely hire folks who come from the restaurant industry. My best hire, and he's actually one of my best friends now. He was a general manager at a restaurant in Connecticut, working 90 to 100 hours a week, making $60,000 a year. And he hated life. But if you think about what a restaurant manager does, all they do all day is sell, right? They're selling themselves in the restaurant and saying a whole lot of, I'm sorry. But we offered him, you know, this opportunity to come in and like go through real sales training. Like we had a three week onboarding program. We flew everyone to Boston. We really trained them not just in the product, but in sales methodology. Um, and he was unbelievable, wound up kicking some serious butt and was a great rep. And he had that instant credibility because he could go into a restaurant owner or a DOO and be like, I was you. I get this. Now that doesn't translate to every other industry. Like Swag Up, you know, we had a platform that automated the swag process. So when I got hired as the 3,000th 3, employee of high tech freedom, instead of you having to send me my pen and my laptop and my shirt, we built out an integration with your applicant tracking system and your HR system that it knew that Adam started on Monday and it sent the information to our warehouse and all that information automatically got shipped out. You're probably not going to you know, hire an HR person to, to do that. But I think one of the things that is important is you have to look at the type of folks that are going to resonate with your buyers. So selling into you know, the moving industry is very different than selling into you know, work, workforce and flow management. It's, it's a different clientele. You're talking to a lot of owner operators. Maybe in the mid-market, there, there's a general manager. You have to be able to relate to your customers. Um, and I think that selling skills you know, are transferable from one segment, if you will, to another. Um, but there's very few folks that looking at where I've worked previously that I would be like, oh, you're, you're great to come here or you're great to come here. As reps, as leaders, I think it's a totally different story. Um, I think being a sales leader is a sales leader, regardless of where you are, um, as long as you have that product knowledge to really understand how to make your reps the most effective. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. And I guess another way of looking at it is the one other thing that is transferable is 
you have to know your client, right? So if you, you know, maybe you're not from that industry, well, then you better learn it and you better learn what they need, the problems that they're facing to be able to speak their language and get up to speed quickly. We, um, it's funny you say that because we did a lot of that at Toast. So I never worked in the restaurant industry. Um, 86% of Toast salespeople have in sales leadership. I never did. And someone said that to me as well. Like, you got to be able to walk the walk, right? Like, your, your clients are going to have BS detectors and they're going to know if you don't know what you're talking about and you're going to come off as a greedy salesperson. So I made it a point. I went to one of my local restaurants and I literally shadowed for three days. One day in the kitchen, one day on the floor, and one day shadowing oh, the manager. Wow. Just so I could be intelligent and understand what their problems were and what I was talking about. Now, are you going to, depending on what you're selling, like, are you going to go shadow a CTO all day? Probably not. Or am I going to go shadow a mover? Definitely not, because I don't want to work that hard. But I think that you have to, to your point, really know your customer and educate yourself as best as you can about their space, what their challenges are. And you have to be personable. And it, it goes to like, the tell me more sign behind me. Like nothing aggravates me more than when I get a LinkedIn request and it's like, Hey, Adam, as the VP of sales or VP of revenue for such and such, I know that you struggle with ABC and I sell XYZ that can solve that. You have no idea what I struggle with. Like just because someone's a VP of sales or just because someone works at, you know, whatever company doesn't mean all their problems are the same. And you have to really take the time to learn the industry the product, but most importantly, your consumers before you just go blind pitch slap them with your solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I recently, I, I'm every once in a while, I'm doing what I call a C-level series uh, podcast where I'm actually bringing in a uh, C-level, you know, CIO, C CTO, whatever, you know, sure. somebody from the other side of the table. And I had a woman on, she was a chief of staff to the AT&T communications CEO. And you know, she talked about, you know, the vendors that come in, the ones that get their attention, especially when you get up to that level, you better be able to talk their business. And sometimes, you know, they don't want the details, um, but you better be able to go five. She called it the five whys. So you better be able to go down five levels if they do want to go into those level of details. And it's, you know, that's what's gaining credibility. 100%. I, I tell my team all the time, no matter what you're selling, after, after you give an answer, the next thing you be better be able to answer is when your customer looks at you and says, so what? This does this. Great. So what? Well, it's going to help you do that. Awesome. So what? Like if you can't go to your point, the, the, the four or five layers deep and really explain how it's going to solve their problems, you're not going to do very well. On the flip side, to your point, you also have to recognize the higher up you go on the food chain, the less that person cares about the details. You got to be able to talk about strategy and overall vision and how it's going to improve efficiency, budget, and the needle up and to the right. I signed a contract for some software the other day and like the reps trying to show me like literally like how, how to log in. Like I don't care. <laughs> I, I care that it's user friendly and I care that my team's going to like it. Um, but at the end of the day, how is this going to make my life easier and move the needle up and to the right? Is yeah. much, much more important. Just show me my dashboard. Give me my dashboard. Yeah, pr pr pretty much. How, how, how can I see the numbers and then how can I integrate this into my data warehouse? Yeah, love it. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of already going down the path of maybe part of this question, but um, this, with the 350 people you've hired, the 24 and counting that you've promoted, you know, what have you seen that's really separated some of those top performers from the rest of the pack? Is there one or two things that really stands out in your mind? Yeah, it's... um. 
the first one, it's, it's going to sound so silly. It, it is that work ethic and that hustle. True top performers are the ones who are willing to do whatever it takes to learn, to close the deals, and to get better. And what I mean by work ethic and hustle, because I don't want folks to confuse this, I am the biggest believer of work-life balance. I block out my calendar to pick up my kid from school. I take a lot of vacation time. It doesn't mean that all you do is work, 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 work. It means that when you work, you work hard. It means that you try your hardest, that you are constantly learning, and that you're willing to put in that extra effort to learn more, do more, understand more, and ask for help. That's the first one. And then the second one, um, there's three that I look for. The second one is coachability. I think that regardless of whether you're a BDR, a VP of sales, or a CEO, you you have to be coachable if Mm. if you're going to be successful. You have to be willing to not just take feedback, but to hear that feedback, listen to that feedback, and actually action on that feedback. Um, The best reps and the folks that I promoted are the ones that are always asking, what can I do better? And I actually took this from one of my reps um, in every one-on-one with my CEO. And I said this actually in my interview process, I don't want you to tell me what I'm doing good. I, I could look at a dashboard and see what I'm doing good. Tell me where I'm failing. Tell me what I can improve upon. Coach me to get better. Um, I waited way too long to invest in, in an outside coach that isn't tied to my business. I just did it this year. I mm. wish I would have done it five years earlier. Um, but be coachable. And then the last one is just be a good human being. And there's no great way to screen for this one, man. But I have learned over the past five years, I don't like working with crappy people. Um, I don't like working with people who have big egos. I don't like working with people who don't want to do right by people. You got to be a good human being. You have to have empathy and care for your customers and care for your team and realize that at the end of the day, listen, we're all in sales. We want to move the needle up and to the right, whether you're reporting to a, a manager, director, uh, a CEO or a board, like that expectation goes unsaid. But at the end of the day, we're leading people. We're not leading numbers and we can't lose sight of that. And th- by that, we have to be good human beings, man. Like we got to treat people with respect. We got to treat customers with respect. One of the things that I learned, you know, not only do I want to hire good human beings, but I want to work for good human beings. Mm-hmm. I was interviewing for a role about three years ago and I went out to dinner with the CEO. I will never take a job without meeting someone in person, by the way. That turned out really bad. But the reason we went out to dinner, I, I want to see how they treat the servers. I want to see how they treat people that are quote, like beneath them, so to speak, not beneath them in reality, but just not the same job level. Right. Um, and I want to see how they talk to these people. Like the way the CEO treated the server, get me this, get me that. Like I was appalled. Um, and and it, it is literally the reason I pulled out of the job interview because wow. I didn't want to work for a human being like that. Whereas there's another CEO that I went to dinner with for a consulting project that was so kind and could you please do me this? And their food came out and it was it was absolutely it was so messed up. And they're like, listen, not a big deal. If this is my biggest problem today, it's a great day. Just have the chef remake it. Like who cares? Um and I think you can tell a lot about someone by the way that they treat people that aren't necessarily at their their pay scale, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you know, and I feel like we, in a way we've lost a little bit of that, you know, being in this virtual world for the last two years. Yeah. And uh, that's what I'm so excited about is, you know, reps are getting back in the field. 
having an opportunity to break bread outside of the office, you know, meet with customers and meet with clients. Um, you know, when you're on a Zoom call, it's bam, 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 and you're in, you're out. You never really get a chance to kind of build that relationship and be nice. Sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to, harder to do it. It's, it's doable for sure. So don't let it stop you if you can't get out in the field. But um, it, it is easier and more enjoyable, I think, when you can meet in person. I've worked from home for 15 years. I travel and I go out and meet customers, but certainly not every day. Um, but I, I was at Saster in San Francisco last week. It was my first like in-person event in like five years. And it was so nice to be with people. Um, you cannot overstate the value of like, to your point, like sitting down and breaking bread with someone, sharing a beer, I'm not a beer drinker, but sharing a beer or a bourbon with someone. There's something to be said about that. It, it's, it's nice to see COVID dwindling down and people being willing to get together in person again. Yeah, I actually went to my first uh, in-person um, industry networking event here in Portland, Oregon uh, earlier this week. And uh, nice. a business partner was hosting it. It's kind of a neat way. They do it all across the country and bring a bunch of their vendors together. And uh, so I went. I was excited because it was local. And uh, I had this giant box of business cards that my company had sent me. And, you know, I'm sorry, as I'd meet somebody and hand it out, like, they're like, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a business card. I was like, I know, don't worry about it. I just, I had so many, I just hadn't used them. I wouldn't years. even know what to do with a business card, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> when I, you know, it's like, it was so a little bit of a tangent, but you know, everything's so electronic now. It's like, I, I was trying not to pull my phone out and, and exchange contacts. So I've just, I don't know, kind of maybe going back to old school. Um, hey, right. so... You know, Adam, as we get close to wrapping it up here, uh, you, you talked about balance uh, a couple minutes ago. You know, what does freedom look like for you in the future as you continue to work and grow and and do what you do? Yeah. So, if I'm going to be totally honest and transparent, um, I value my personal time a ton. Um, I have an 11 year old that I share with his mom. We do a week on, a week off. Um, when I have him, like my team knows, like. My calendar is blocked out from 3 o'clock till 4.30. I pick him up from school and I do his homework with him. It's a non-negotiable. Once a week, he has basketball practice. I go with him. It's non-negotiable. So that's on the low end of like freedom is being able to do that stuff. But for me, I, I, I shared with you, we're, we're, my wife and I are starting to dabble in real estate. Um, you know, We're starting to dabble in some short-term rental properties. I have a very ambitious goal to do a property a year over the next five years. Freedom to me is being able to work on my time. I, I feel like I've worked so long and built up so much knowledge that I want to share, that I want to stay. And I've always done consulting on the side, but I'd like to make that more of a full-time, if you will, gig or a primary gig where I'm working, where I'm choosing who I want to work with, providing them that valuable insight, helping them scale their go-to-market, building best practices with folks that I want to work with. And my primary hustle, if you will, is like managing those Airbnbs and building those rental properties and growing what I would say real income through real estate. I'm a big believer that no matter what job you have, even if you're the top enterprise rep at Alassian that makes a million a year, you're never going to get wealthy off of a W-2 job unless you invest your commissions properly. A whole separate conversation that I'm sure you've spoken about or we could have a whole tangent about. But I want to do my own thing. I, I, yeah. I want to be able to provide people the guidance on, on, on my terms and choose who I want to work with and have what I would call the best, nicest Airbnb in every community that we're in. My wife and I have always said that it would be the Airbnb that we want to stay in. 
I will spend the extra $500 to put the nicer TV on the wall. I will spend the extra $1,000 to make sure you have soft sheets on your bed so that it's someplace that if I was traveling, I would want to sleep at and stay there. And you probably will travel there and stay there. Absolutely. 100%. uh, When when Zachary turns 18, my wife and I have said that the the house will be rented and we are just going to travel the world 30 days all over, have laptop, can work. Um, And if we like someplace more, we'll, we'll stay a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, uh, you know, for listeners that have been listening for a while, you know, they know that I've been doing real estate for 20 plus years. And um, I hadn't really thought about this until maybe the last five years. But as my kids started to get a little bit older, and I could kind of get a sense, well, you know, I just dropped my kid off at at college yesterday. Uh, You know, there's a high probability that they won't come back and live where I live. And so, yeah, I want to be able to personally, I wanted to be able to use my uh, real estate income to be able to go live temporarily, maybe wherever they're at and go hunker down for three months. And doesn't matter where I'm at, I could still work. Uh, if it's real estate, it might be working when I'm not working and, uh, you know, be close to little Johnny's soccer practice, go to the school play, yeah. maybe chase the warm weather, get out of the rain here in Portland during the winter. Uh, but the, really, the uh, but you have is, a great food, you have a great food, food cart scene. Oh, incredibly good. Incredibly good. But, you know, it really comes down to flexibility, I, I think, is the way yeah, I would sum it absolutely. up. So, Well, if, if anybody out there wants to learn a little bit more about real estate, uh, you know, we have a, a number of resources on our website. You can, you can go to hightechfreedom.com and check it out. We also have a webinar out there or drop me a note and I can get you more information. Um, Adam, uh, I, I guess as we wrap it up here, is there anything else you want to share with the audience? No, I think, listen, it's... Uh... We, we went through this stage where it was the hustle culture, right? Everyone's got to work, you know, as long as they can, as hard as they can, as many hours as they can. Um, I think it's really important, you know, post COVID, as the world gets back to normal, to realize that you can balance. There can be a balance between working hard, um, spending time with family, doing the things that are important to you. And any company that you want to work for and any leader that you want to work for um, is going to support that. While I certainly block my time to take pick up my son from school, I encourage everyone on my team to block time for things that are important to them, and don't lose sight of the fact that like the hustle, the hustle culture days I think are over, and have that balance because otherwise you're going to burn yourself out. I, I would much rather someone say, "Hey, I need to take the day off today so I can be better tomorrow," versus really burning out and then tomorrow it's like I, I'm I'm done, dude. Um, take the balance. Yeah. And just to reinforce that point, um, you know, cause I just did this yesterday, right? I took part of the day yesterday to drive down to Eugene, Oregon, drop my son off. And I was, I could feel myself getting sucked into wanting to hurry up and get out of the dorm to go. Cause I had all these, I want to get ready, ready for today's podcast. I was like, no, no, this is a special time. Enjoy it. Take yeah. advantage of it. And, you know, when your kids are young, you know, you're going to feel challenged to, you know, go perform at work. But yet, you know, do these other things with your kid, with the school, with the sports, whatever it might be. You don't get those back. Nobody will remember that you crushed your quota that year when, you know, we, they're reading your obituary, right? I mean, they'll remember the things you did for your kids, your, your, the charities in the area. Um, those are the things that matter. You know, it's all in balance, right? You need to make the money to take care of the family. But, you know, to uh, find that balance and, you know, you'll be happier in the long run. So. Adam, if somebody would Absolutely. like to reach out to you, how can they connect up? Uh, two ways. Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, what's LinkedIn? HTTPS colon backslash backslash LinkedIn.com backslash in Adam B as in boy, J A Y. 
Um, or they can always just email me direct. It's adam at onqonque dot co co. All right, and we'll put your uh, LinkedIn link in the show notes if somebody wants to grab it there. Cool, Adam. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation, and thank you for coming on. Really nice to meet you. Likewise, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.